So this morning, um, I'm going to continue to talk about God's Word as part of our foundation series. Every year, we look at our vision statement, which is rooted in Christ, planted in family, and fruitful in life. And part of what we want to do is to root this church in the Word of God, in the Gospel, that you would understand the Gospel for yourself, and that you wouldn't be duped by any other Gospel or anyone saying something that sounds good. All right? Really, I want to treat you like adults in this church, that you've committed yourself to a journey of discovering who God is for the whole of your life, and you want to do that with all of your heart. So that's how I want to preach. So I want to start with a story this morning. Two weeks ago, uh, Helen and I were watching television. On a Thursday night, we were watching our program. We finished watching it. Helen switched on, just for interest's sake, to the religion channel. I wish this was a good story, but it it ain't. The religion channel, the God channel, and there on the God channel was a lady saying the following. If you suffer from premature baldness, so immediately I thought, oh yes, here's my answer. If you suffer from premature baldness, if you suffer from diabetes, if you suffer any any ailment that needs healing, I have got news for you. Here's the good news. There's an angel waiting to be activated for you. There's an angel waiting to activate healing for you. And all you need to do to activate this angel is to do the course that I'm offering. And the course that I'm offering costs $39.99 per course. And once you do my amazing course... I can promise you that this, this angel will be activated and your baldness will disappear, your diabetes will disappear, and you will be blessed in every area of your life. You know why, Christian, why people think Christians are Wookiees? Do you know what a Wookiee is? You watch Star Wars? Do you know why Christian thinks, people think that Christians are Wookiees? Because there are so many Christians that are Wookiees, crazy, believing garbage. I want you to be a person that so loves the Word of God, that so knows the Word of God. When you hear a Wookiee, even from a pulpit, saying something that is not true through the Word, immediately you will know and say, "Uh uh-uh, this is not the gospel. That's why we love the Word of God. We want the, 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 the Word of God to be the absolute foundation upon which this church is built going forward. Amen. And so I said last week that I want to try and articulate and explain and defend what we mean when we say, when we proclaim that the Word of God is living and powerful and active. And that's what I'm trying to do. And so I want to try to, today to try and describe the nature of the relationship between God, the God of Scripture, so that we can answer these kind of questions for ourselves. Questions like, why is it that in order to worship God faithfully, I need to pay attention to the Bible? Why is it that to be faithful as a disciple of Jesus, I need to trust and obey what the Scripture says? Why is it uh, in order to walk in step with the Spirit that I need to trust and obey what the Scripture says. These are good questions to ask, and I want to try and show you this morning why we can do that with confidence. And these are things we need to consider. And so what I want to think about with you this morning is really connected. 
Um, so all through Genesis, the, 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 the first chapters of, of Genesis, this kind of relationship is followed. In some cases, God's act of speaking is all that is needed for creation. And then what follows in the Scripture is simply this little phrase, and it was so. So, for example, in Genesis 1 verse 9, it says this, And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let dry ground appear. That's the word He speaks. And then it simply says, And it was so. It happened. There's the relationship between God speaking and His actions. Or Genesis 1 verse 11. And God said, that Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land, and bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds creating all sorts of trees, and it simply says, and it was so. There it happened. God speaks, and it's done. All right? So in other words, God's creative words are followed. In some other places, God's creative words are followed by a summary of what God does and what He achieves. So, and it follows with... That is amazing. Again, He comes, and He simply speaks to Adam and Eve. He calls out to them. You know the story... In Genesis 3, it says God is walking in the cool of the evening, and that Adam and Eve heard him walk, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and then he calls out and he says, where are you, Adam? Again, he speaks, where are you? And of course, they hide, and you know the story from there. And then God proceeds to pronounce judgment on what has happened, the serpent, the woman, and the man, and this, by extension, all of them are judged. And uh, if you want to read uh, that for yourself, Genesis 3.14 speaks quite plainly uh, of the judgment. It says on, on the serpent, you will crawl on your, your belly. You'll eat the dust all your days of your life. You're going to be enemies with mankind. Uh, to the woman, he says, part of, part of your consequence of this is that childbearing is going to be difficult for you. It's, you are going to be able to bear children, but it's going to be difficult. And to the man, he says, because you didn't listen... Uh, work is going to be hard for you. Guys, there's consequence for, for you as well. Work is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. You're going to toil and labor to produce for yourself. That's a consequence. That's what, Jesus, what God says for, the, for, for men. And so my, my, my reason for saying all of this is just to show that God, there's a pattern right from the very beginning that God speaks and what God says is, happens and is done. In creation. Secondly, what about the story of redemption? The same pattern we see in Genesis 3, verse 5. Um, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, in Genesis 3, verse 5, when God produces, uh, when he pronounces this judgment, already he hints in that that he's got a plan to redeem mankind. And so there's this, this, uh, pa this uh, plan that God puts into place, and he does that through establishing covenants with his people. And a covenant is simply a promise um, that is, is made and it, it is the, forms the, ba the basis of a relationship. So God's relationship in the Old Testament is on the basis of covenants, promises that he makes to his people. And the first one I'm sure you know really well is Noah, where there's this flood that destroys the whole world. God says, he, may, he speaks again, he says, I won't do this ever again. And the sign of this is going to be the rainbow that you see in the sky. That's the, that's the symbol of my spoken promise to you that this will not happen again. What about the calling of Abraham? Abraham is, um, um, uh, when we first meet him in the, in the scripture, his name is Abram. And uh, it says that he's, um, God makes this amazing uh, promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. 
and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse them. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. That's a pretty amazing promise to one man, Abraham. That's what God speaks. And so by speaking this promise over Abraham's life, that all the peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham, God commits himself to a plan of action in history that leads up to the birth of Jesus, that leads up to the pouring of the Holy Spirit out upon all people, and it continues to today, these last days that we are living in, right up until the future return of Jesus. God committed himself through what he spoke to Abraham, to that course of action all the way through history, and we are part of that plan. God's plan of redemption includes you and includes me. So we see again in God's plan of redemption, the words that he speaks define and explain the goal of the future plan that he has And he commits himself to that through what he speaks. And so there's the same relationship between God's actions and what he speaks in the Old Testament. And there's some other examples, just a couple more that I'm going to share with you. 1 Kings 13 is very interesting. Uh, In the history of Israel, there was a time when the nation was split into two, Israel and Judea, two kingdoms, the north and the south. And um, immediately after this happens, uh, the, the king is a guy called Jeroboam. A prophet comes from Judah to Israel, and is deceived into disobeying what God has already spoken to him. And the chapter 1 Kings 13 begins like this. It uses this phrase. It says, By the word of the Lord, a man came from Judah to Bethel, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. And by the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born in the house of of David. And so it's really interesting when you read this, the Old Testament, this phrase comes up over and over again, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord comes to David. It's over and over again, you'll see this phrase in the Old Testament. And, and what is clear is that when the word of the Lord comes, it's the thing that drives forward what happens. In other words, when the phrase, the word of the Lord is used, it's like God is saying to us that he himself is speaking. So when it, we, can, we can know. It's like when the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah, it's God saying, I am speaking through Isaiah, or I am speaking through Jeremiah, or I am speaking through David in the Psalms, whatever it is. And the clue for us is when we see the word of the Lord, something is going to happen. So 1 Kings 13 makes that plain again. That what happened in the nation was through the word of the Lord that comes to this prophet. And it's the same as us saying God acts through language in order to make things happen in history. Are you getting what I'm saying? God, God acts through language to make things happen in history. And then Psalm 29 is a beautiful example of that. So um, here we see the, the theme is God's power in his voice. And verse 7 says this in Psalm 29. It says, the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and all in the temple cry glory. So here again we see this uh, amazing picture of the Old Testament equating God's actions and what He does through what He speaks by means of His voice And God's saying, when I speak, it's as good as me doing this thing myself. All right? And then the the final one from the Old Testament I want to draw your attention to is a beautiful verse in Isaiah that I'm sure you've heard many, many times. It's the classic passage in the Old Testament. 
which says this. It says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without it watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Amen. God's saying of His own word. It always produces what I say it is going to produce, and it never comes back to me void. It never comes back to me without fulfilling what I've sent it to do. And of course, the contrast is us, isn't it? Often we speak, and what we speak, we don't ever follow through on or we don't do. And God is saying, I'm not like that. When I speak, it's as good as done. And you can trust my words because it's me in your life enacting and acting through your life in a way that I'm promising to you. And that's why you can be confident about my words. So these are just some examples from the Old Testament. And now I just want to focus a little bit on Jesus. Because too, in the New Testament, we see Jesus' words and His actions are one and the same as God's words and His actions in the Old Testament. And so the, word, the, the Scripture describes Jesus as the Word made flesh. And in the New Testament, the Word made flesh, Jesus is the ultimate embodiment and fulfillment of the Word of God in the Old Testament. You get that? So when Jesus calls himself the Word made flesh, that's why we use incarnation. Incarne means in flesh. Carnival that you have when you celebrate something. What does that mean? It's a celebration of carne, flesh. That's why people rush around without clothes, clothes and, and feathers, and they do their whole thing, and they dance. And It's a celebration of carne, of flesh. And so this is what we celebrate as Christians, that God made himself flesh. The Word became carne, flesh, and dwelt amongst us. And so Jesus, the fulfillment of God, the Word made flesh, he is the ultimate fulfillment of all the, that the Word of God promised in the Old Testament. And he lives it out through his life and his actions. And um, we see this clearly in the New Testament, but I especially just want to focus on the Gospel of John. I love John. I love John, but I love John. John. The Gospel of John. John 1 says, We have seen he who came from the Father, and he came to us full of grace and truth, speaking about the Word of God, the ultimate fulfillment of the Word of God in Jesus. And then it says this in uh, John 14, 9, where, you know that um, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus also lost people. This was great comfort to me as, as, as a leader. <laughs> Not everyone loved Jesus. Not everyone followed Jesus. Did you know that? It says uh, in, in, in John 14, it says that great multitudes have been uh, following Jesus, and uh, many of them decided to leave him because his teaching was too hard. It was too difficult. And they, they said, no, this is just too difficult. We're not going to follow you. And then he says to his disciples, he says to Philip, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been amongst you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And he has the radical claim of Jesus Christ. He has the amazing claim of Jesus. He plainly claims in these verses that if you've encountered Jesus and you've seen Jesus and you've uh, walked with Jesus as his disciples did, that you have walked and seen and eaten with God himself. 
That is the radical claim that Jesus made. Let no one tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. He did, absolutely. Here he claims it. Plainly. In other words, it's not that Jesus is just saying about himself that he's the best reflection in, in a human being of what God is like. He's not just saying that. That's a powerful thing. I mean, you, I hope you could see in my life something of Jesus and say, well, I see in your life a reflection of who God is, something of who, Jesus, of who God is. But I've never claimed to be God. Jesus is saying that. He's saying, it's not just that I'm the best reflection that you will ever see of God, the best of the image of God that you will ever see in a human being. He's saying, I am God. And if you've seen me, you have seen the Father in heaven. And that's a different thing. Amen? And so that's the great claim of the New Testament. And in other places, Paul, for example, claims precisely the same thing. 1 Corinthians 1.24, he says this, To whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he also says, remember our study of Colossians, Colossians 1.19, For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Christ. All of his fullness dwell in Jesus. So it's, it's not just that John is saying this. The, the, uh, Paul says this. The whole of the New Testament says, says this. The fullness of God is dwelling in the person of, the, of Jesus. And so I want to just look at that in two ways. The actions of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And so, uh, again, let me go back to John and uh, uh, John f- uh, 15. Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And that the Father is in me. Again, Jesus speaking to his disciples. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works that you see themselves. Amazing claims that Jesus is making. Uh, what about um, uh, in verse 19? Jesus gave them this answer. Truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing Himself. He can only do what He sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He does, and yes, will show Him even greater works than these, and you will be amazed. So it follows that when Lazarus, for example, is raised from the dead, or Jesus does any example of, of healing like that, it's it's as good as God demonstrating the, His power over death Himself. That's what Jesus is saying. When I raise Lazarus from the dead, it's like God the Father raising Lazarus from the dead. When I heal you of your sickness, it's like God the Father healing you of your sickness. It's exactly the same because I and the Father are one. And so the actions of Jesus are part of the fullness of what, of what uh, Paul describes to us, but also are the words of Jesus. And I've already mentioned some of these, but let me just uh, summarize. John 8, 28. I do nothing on my own, but speak only what the Father has taught me. Or John 12, 49. I did not speak on my own, but the Father sent me and commanded me to say everything that I've spoken. I know that His commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Man, this is so what is so amazing about what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying, it's not that he just learned from his father as he was growing up. 
you know, as he was growing up, part of, part of the Gospels is the disciples discovering who Jesus is. And they have to understand through his life and as he's with them who he is. And eventually they come, yeah, he is the Messiah. We understand. So where did, my point is this, where, when Jesus says, I heard these things from my father, did he just hear them as he was growing up and God was speaking to him? No, it doesn't say that. The implication is this, that Jesus heard these things, was taught these words by his father in eternity, in the Trinity, in the Godhead. He had learned and heard from God all that he needed to say on his, in his earthly ministry. And then he was, came and he was, he was born as a human being. And he was faithful to speak in his earthly life only that what he had heard in eternity spoken to him and taught to him by his Father. That's what the Scripture is saying. It is incredible. It is a picture of the Godhead, of the Trinity. You know, people say, well, the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity. That's true. But it is there everywhere. And here's one of the portions where it's obvious. The implication is Jesus is saying, I only speak to you what my Father has taught me, what He has told me to say. And when we were together in eternity, the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, in perfect love and fellowship, we talked about this. And I'm faithful to only tell you what God Himself has told me to say to you while I've been with you on earth. That is incredible. That is the promise of the Scripture that God in Jesus it's fully one and the same. That's why you can trust His Word. That's why you can trust Him. Because it's God the Father speaking to you directly through the words of His Son. And He doesn't change anything that He's heard. He's faithful and obedient to only tell you what the Father has told Him to say. That's why you can build your life on His Word. That's why you can trust Him with your future. That's why when the Word says your sins are forgiven, you can trust it completely because it's God Himself speaking those words to you. And then this becomes really, really clear. And I'm, I've got five minutes. So I'm on time. I think I was going too long, but I'm not. So here we are. <laughs> uh, this becomes so much more clear in John, uh, in John 17, verse 8, where Jesus says this again to His disciples. For I... I gave them the words that you gave me, again this thing, what the Father gave me, I gave them, and they accepted them, and they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. That's when he's praying for his disciples. That's where he prays. He says, no, God, they knew. I came from you. You sent me. The words you gave, I faithfully gave to, to them, and they accepted them as words that you spoke. God the Father spoke to them. And so this is the proof that Jesus preexisted in eternity with his Father. And all the implication is that the Father gave Jesus all the words that he needed to speak in his earthly ministry before he came to earth and was sent by his Father. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is not only his willing submission to suffering and to death and to ultimately be resurrected again, but also his faithful obedience in passing on the words that his father gave him, that his father taught him to those that love him and follow after him. So both his deeds and his words show that he is the fullness of God in human form here for us on earth. And lastly, this helps us to understand what Jesus means in John 6, 63, when he says this, The Spirit gives life. 
The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and full of eternal life. Now, is, is Jesus just using a metaphor? Is Jesus just saying in a metaphor, metaphorical sense that his words bring fullness to our lives and we can walk in the power of the Spirit if we obey Him. Is He saying that? Well, that is absolutely true, but it's not really what He's saying. He's really saying here, literally, what I've, uh, uh, it's a summary of what I've said to you. He's literally saying that because God's words to Him in eternity were full of the power of the Spirit and full of eternal life, when Jesus speaks on earth with his words, they are literally full of eternal life and full of the power of the Spirit because they are the eternal words of his Father. That's what he's saying. Amen. This is absolutely beautiful. And so I talked about um, this thing of the disciples wanting to leave, um, some of them wanting to leave. And again, just to re reiterate, it's, it's, uh, John says in verse 68, he asked, Jesus asked his disciples after some people have left him. Do, do you want to leave me too, do you? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They knew. They knew this wasn't just wisdom. They knew this was God with them. I want you to love the word like that in your life. That you know it's God's word to you. That you love it. That you cherish it. That it's Jesus himself speaking to you. Not just some wisdom. Amen. So, the straightforward but extraordinary claim of the New Testament is that God the Son, the Word incarnate, speaks to us in ordinary human words. But they are the very things that he's heard God the Father say to him in eternity. And here, final, my final little point is this. This is what John makes clear in the opening of his letter. Remember I said I love John's gospel? I also love the letters of John. 1 John 1, verse 1 says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, Jesus. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us and we know is Jesus the Son. This we proclaim, eternal life to you, the Word made flesh, Jesus the Son, God incarnate, we proclaim as eternal life to you. And that is the, the aim of this church and everyone that preaches from this pulpit that will proclaim to you, Jesus, the eternal life, God with us, incarnate with us, the eternal one coming to us. And in simple words, speaking into our lives in a way that makes sense and enables us to live for Him. So we can say He is both the fullness of His Word and the fullness of what He does through our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Johnny, do you want to come?
Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the word of God that came to people in the Old Testament, that came to the prophets, came to David, came to Abraham, and promised and showed something of your plan, the fullness of your plan of redemption through what you spoke, through the word of God to all of those people. And we thank you for the word of God, Jesus, the word made flesh, who comes to show us exactly what you are like, our good Father in heaven. That through his life and his words, he completely, fully encapsulates all that you are and all that you came to do and have for us as your sons and daughters. We're so, so thankful, Lord, this morning. I pray for every single person in this church, those that are watching online. I pray, Lord, that we'd get to love your word, that we would treasure your word, that we would, that we would honor your word in our lives, in how we read and study and think, but also through the power of the Spirit, demonstrated through our love for each other, through our kindness to those that are not kind to us, through your healing power as we pray for people, that we would demonstrate the fullness of Christ in both our words and our deeds. And we pray, just as we said this morning, Lord, we can't do this on our own. At the beginning of this year, we need your Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would fill us and flood us with your love for everyone that we might meet. In Jesus' name we pray.